This is Shift Run Stop, a fun podcast about games and cultural stuff and comedy and interviews. Welcome, this is Shift Run Stop, episode 26. I'm Rue Reynolds. I'm Leila Johnston. And I'm John Butterworth. And John's a particle physicist. Professor John. Yes, Professor John, that's right. Our first professor, I think, on the show. Is it? I wouldn't have come if I'd have known that. Well, yeah, we should have made you a cake or something. (laughs) I don't know. We should have done something. A carpet or a crown or something. Welcome, John. It's great to meet you. Thank you. It's good. It's not very far. I'm at at UCL, um, but I also spend um, about a third of my time at CERN working on the Large Hadron Collider. Well, welcome to Different Stop. How much time do you spend over in Switzerland then? It varies, um, because I've been teaching between January and March. I Mm. do a lot of teaching at UCL. But over the year, on average, I probably have a couple of trips a month for two Mm. or three days. I probably spend on average one or two weeks every month there over the whole year. In the summer, I sometimes go for a big chunk and take the family as well. The data started coming in and you're you're colliding hadrons all over the shop? We are, well, hopefully only in a few places, but they're colliding (laughs) quite a lot, yes. In a nice controlled environment. Yeah, well, you spend a long time, I mean, colliding the protons is a big job. What I've really worked on is then when they collide, really seeing what happens when they collide. Mm -hmm. And this is what these detectors do. There are two really big ones and then two more specialised ones as well. So Atlas is the one that UCL built part of it. So there are UCL students and postdocs and things over there working on it and uh, I have to go and hassle them every now and then. <laughs> See, on your website, you call it like a camera? Um, it's very like one in, in the sense that um, the technology is even the same or similar to some of okay. it. But really, what it's, uh, it's essentially a big cylinder, um, lots of concentric cylinders, actually, that surround the point where the protons collide. So they, collide, mm-hmm. they come in either end of the cylinder and collide right in the middle. And each kind of around that collision point, there's a little cylinder, which is silicon detectors. And then there's another cylinder, which is big, heavy stuff, and, and there's, around that there's a magnet. And all of these things are, are there essentially to record what happens when the protons collide very, mm-hmm. very accurately. And the, the, the innermost ones are actually silicon detectors, which are very similar technology to the, the detectors that CCDs that run a camera. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea is that when a charged particle from one of the collisions passes through them, um, a semiconductor, which is like in basically all computers are made of, and the cam- in particular the camera, um, light-sensitive stuff in the camera is from there, the, the electrons that are nearly ready to carry a current. And if you pass close by them with a high, highly energetic particle, you give them just enough energy that they can get out and escape and carry a current, and you can record where that happened, and it gives you a really accurate picture of where the track went. So what do you actually see on your screen? Is mm-hmm. it just like a series of numbers, or is it a graph or is it a photo of some sort we we make pictures up afterwards so i mean what we get is a series of numbers it's it's basically a whole digital readout the whole thing it's not like mission control you're sort of watching no we don't really have a camera in there from a distance we've got we've got webcams watching the thing from the outside but all you'll see is the concrete shielding and some puzzled looking guys every now and then (laughs) um you'll see these these pictures of um, you know tracks emerging from a sensor that's Mm. one one view of what happened we have a lot more information than then than that shows about what happened, but that is one way of getting an intuitive idea mm. of what's going on. In fact, we even have a student, Lily Asquith, now who's, who's working on, um, on audio um, interpretation of the oh, events, wow. which I don't know whether we'll do any physics with it, but it's quite fascinating yeah. to try and interpret these, this, this just digital information. You can yeah. interpret it all different ways. Yeah. And she's got a, a little um, website there, that, that, a little project that they've got funded to um, interpret these collisions in sound as well as in pictures. It's quite what, fun. Do you know what her website address is? We can link to it. On it's called lhcsound.com, okay. www.lhcsound.com. Well, one of the things that I read about, um, in fact, one of the things that I read that you wrote was about um, 
energy scales. And I thought this was really interesting that you were saying about how most of the time we live uh, below a, a scale of energy where mm-hmm. we where things seem very different yeah. and the, this kind of um, electromagnetism forces and nuclear forces are quite separate. But if you, right. if you go past a certain level and look kind of down, I suppose, then yeah, they all actually look different again. That's right. It's, it's the fact that we, we have the pitch, this picture of the way the universe evolved we see it's expanding now and we know that energy is conserved so if you back in the past it was smaller but the same energy so everything in there was was moving faster because the energy was 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 more concentrated which mm. means a higher temperature basically we've had enough energy in previous colliders to just about see that as you say there's this key energy scale where in our everyday cold universe like the, the cosmic microwave background is is the temperature of the universe about three mm. kelvin it's very very cold um, but um, in, in this everyday universe, if you like, the, the weak force, which is the one that drives the sun, where the, energy, uh, the nuclear fu- um, fusion reactions in the sun mm-hmm. rely on that, is very different from electromagnetism, which is what we, we're mm-hmm. used to, electricity and magnetism every day. We know that there's an energy scale um, which is related to the, 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 uh, the mass of the particles that carry these forces. So mm-hmm. the, the one that carries the weak force is a W and a Z, and they're pretty heavy. They're, they're massive, hundreds of giga electron volts in, in energy terms. And the photon has no mass. But if you get to an energy high enough that you can ignore the mass of the W and the Z, then these two forces sun, suddenly look rather similar. Right. Um, and that's, uh, that's what we call this electric unification scale. And that's the, the LHC is the first machine that will allow us to really do physics above that energy scale, mm. which is the bit where these two forces are in some sense unified. And we... What, we, what we're really interested in knowing is why are they different now? Why, why, it's kind of easy to understand why they might all be the same. Mm. What's interesting is then why did, they, why did they diverge as you cool down? And it seems that the reason they diverge is mass, and we don't understand where mass comes from, so that leads you to the Higgs. That tells you why, why this electroweak breaking scale, symmetry breaking scale, is related to mass, and it's the Higgs boson, we think, that comes in and actually by... by by sticking to the W's and Z's but not sticking to the photon is the thing that, that breaks that symmetry and gives the W and the Z mass and mm-hmm. doesn't give the photon mass. So uh, the, finding the Higgs boson particle mm-hmm. will help explain the question of why the photon has no mass or have I missed... That, that's right. In fact, the, in a way, the more puzzling thing is why, the w, why other particles do have mass. Okay. So the natural maths of the standard model, which is the way we describe particle physics, the theory we have for it all, works best if nothing has mass right apart from the fact that that's obviously not true <laughs> so so all the but all the maths all the symmetries and everything work and those symmetries are kind of integral to it you can't make predictions if those symmetries have va- just completely vanished so what the higgs does it comes in and, and it sticks to some of the particles and it breaks that symmetry it kind of hides that symmetry so the symmetry is still there in the maths but in the co- where we are everyday world it's not there anymore and we can have mass mm. um but if you think at high energies that when you're way above the higgs mass way above the masses of the particles then the Higgs isn't sticking to anything anymore because everyone's got so much energy it completely overrides the Higgs field. We think the Higgs is the thing that kind of manifests itself as things cool down and and suddenly the Higgs has enough power to stick to some stuff Mm. and it breaks all these symmetries that way but the symmetry is still kind of fundamentally there at high energies. And at this stage that's all really really theoretical or or is there a lot of evidence for what what you're um, postulating here? 
the Higgs itself the, is really theoretical, but the the model that uses it is incredibly successful at describing data. So we've been driven to postulating the Higgs mm. by the fact that the model that uses it is really work, really works. You know, you predict real th- real things with it. Mm-hmm. Plus, this business about the energy scales in previous experiments, we've seen the two curves coming together. We know they come together at this energy. It's not just an energy we made up and we'll we'll run the LHC there. We know that this that this phenomena that the two forces look the same above some energy and look different below it. We know that's true. Mm. What we don't know is that it's the Higgs that does it. Mm. The Higgs is just our best idea so far. To what extent is the, um, is the Large Hadron Collider attempting to recreate the initial conditions of the universe compared to trying to find out something about physics and the Higgs boson, or, is it, or are they both the same thing, really? They're, they're related, yeah. and the real, but the real thing that the LHC is doing is trying to understand the physical laws that govern the universe now. Okay. It's not a historical study of what happened in the Big Bang. Mm-hmm. The, re- the connection with the Big Bang comes from the fact that if you imagine one pair of our protons hitting each other now mm-hmm. and, and maybe revealing electroweak um, unification or the Higgs, in the first few moments of the Big Bang, every particle in the universe would have had that, that much energy. Right. So, you know, when something's hot, all the particles in it are whizzing around, hitting each other mm. all the time. As you heat it up, they whiz around faster. In the early universe, it was so hot that every particle had more energy than the particles in the LHC. And so the physics that we see at the LHC was the only physics of the, in the Big Bang, right. whereas now it's kind of a fairly esoteric corner where we're studying really how things really work at a very fundamental and hard-to-find level. It was basically the physics that dictated the early universe. Mm. It was the only physics that was going on then. Um, so, but it's still going on now. It's not that it, the prime goal is not to understand the Big Bang. The prime goal is to understand fundamental physics. Yeah. It's quite, in a way, it's quite a hard sell the idea of something you can't see. You know, it's not space. It's not. It's yeah. not there's no planets you can look at or anything, is there? It's, it's no, so right. so kind of high concept. Um, you can see the big tunnel, but there's nothing in it. <laughs> that, that's right. I mean, it's quite amazing that the highlight of this thing wasn't a rocket going up. It was two dots on the screen. Yeah. It's like, okay, fair <laughs> enough. But look at it. I think, it's, okay, it's, it's difficult for me to say because obviously I'm on the inside, but a lot of the feedback I got was just, you'd never seen so many physicists on in the media before mm. um, and genuinely excited. It, was, it really wasn't hype. We really are excited about this. And, you know, I'd never been on live TV before, and uh, actually, that's a lie. I was on Swap Shop when I was ten. But, oh, as, a, wow. but um, no, I, I'd never, as a professional, I'd never been on live TV before, and I wasn't nervous about the live TV. I was nervous about my experiment, and that's you know, I was up there in, on stage in Westminster. I was meeting the minister, and I was on being interviewed by various TV crews and that, and I was all the time bricking it about my experiment. <laughs> I wasn't bothered about the cameras, you know, and I think that came across that we were not really selling something. We were just sharing our excitement, mm-hmm. and so you've got to be careful with that because if you if you try and fake that, it doesn't work. It looks yeah. rubbish. But it re- really was genuine and still is genuine that this is a really groundbreaking experiment. I'm in computers. I'm in the mainframe. I'm in your headphones. See, I've not warmed up. Um, <laughs> Take time. Obviously, this election has been dominated by news of the credit crunch. <laughs> but what about the chocolate crunch, I ask you? Lots of chocolate companies now are, are combining chocolates with crunches in, uh, in several exciting ways. Let's see what they have to offer. First out of the bag, crunchy rocks. Mm. Last year, we reviewed the, uh, the, the Cadbury's clusters and uh, dismissed them as one of the most disappointing launches of living memory. Nonetheless, Cadbury's have persisted with this and have come up. As you can see, it's, it's hard to kind of like photograph 
what is essentially a, a piece of chocolate with some bits of crunchy embedded in it without it looking like a kind of disappointing bowel movement. <laughs> it does look quite turdy, doesn't it? But, so let's see. Are these just crunchy pieces for chocolate or are there, are there other ingredients in here as well? Because it's got a sort of slightly, um, like it might be some biscuit in there. No, it's got cornflakes in it. Wow. Uh, You're correct, Ru. It's like a cornflake cake that you, know, you make in primary school. Yeah, but with extra bits of crunchy mm. in just to make it even nicer. It's all right, but uh, as I think we might have said previously about the Cadbury clusters, still has an air of stuff that they've swept off the factory floor <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and put together and, and clumped together. Moving swiftly on, what have we got in here? Ooh. Let's go with these. My eye was caught by Lint Excellence. And um, yeah, I actually, this is one of those few things that where they have a little demonstration of them in Sainsbury's and you go, oh, oh nice. I, like that. I always like that. And um, they do it at Bailey's sometimes. <laughs> I like doing laps. <laughs> and uh, now, it's, oh, it's quite big squares as well. This is the roasted almond one. Mm-hmm. Good quality chocolate. Yeah, it's these lint chocolates that are really, really thin, aren't they? It's like mm. steam roll. Mm-hmm. Nice and creamy. Gently roasted almond slivers. Mm. And it is sort of little bits of almond rather than a big satisfying almond. Mm. Almost like enormous after-oats. But I think the highlight may be, <laughs> uh, from what I recall, this one that they describe as uh, roasted hazelnut, no, caramelised hazelnuts. You know? So this one's, mm. did you say caramelised hazelnuts? Mm-hmm. Quite similar to the almond one. Yeah, it is. So these are to- these are sort of Toblerones for people that want chocolate they can get in their mouth. <laughs> that doesn't not gouge the top of your cob. <laughs> now, Ooh, Galaxy Counters. Ruth's Ru- Ru- become very animated about these. So have you seen these recently, Ru? I bought some for my team last week. Oh. And they loved them. They went down a treat. The listeners probably don't know that, that Rue is uh, you're an oligarch who owns two, two of the country's best known Premier League uh, teams. But Galaxy Counters, so these are back. I mean, yeah, they're, they're like they're, certainly they're new this year. I think maybe, maybe they were they were resurrected by um. Oh, they, these have got some sort of discoloration on them. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> But that's fine. That doesn't affect the flavour. That's that's cocoa butter rising to the surface. Purely aesthetic, uh, as as they as they say. Can we talk about the packaging here? Because they they come in a like a giant sort of Malteser sized bag, but then mm-hmm. they've also got a little sticker on the back, which you're in a diagram. You're supposed to roll over the top. Yeah, that's that's a common thing for. Um, Is that what they all have now? Yeah, Malteser have those as well. Shouldn't have drawn attention to on that one as well. Oh, everything's it's, it's, doing it now. It's to encourage portion control. It's to it's to suggest that. You've opened a bag of Cadbury's count- oh, Galaxy Counters to share with your friends, but don't feel you have to eat the whole packet in one go. And yet you'd want to, because having had one already, I know Galaxy Counters are absolutely brilliant. Well, they, they are good. Uh, like, I mean, look, of course, in terms of their actual chemical composition, they're minstrels without the heart, without the, uh, mm. the sugar coating. On. I, I like to think of them as those ones in Revels. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the round ones that are um, the same shape as a minstrel, but as you say, without the hard shell. Yeah. Except, unlike Revels, the Galaxy Counters are actually made of really nice Galaxy chocolate. Oh. Revels are made of yeah, chocolate. Oh, I see. Mm. Who makes Revels? It's not... Again, it's Galaxy. It's but like, just yeah. not very good chocolate. But they are a relaunch. I think there was a, a Galaxy Counter um, product back in the 1970s that people lost interest in oh, and, now, and now they've revived not to be confused with the vice versa which mm. I think I don't know was I, I think there the were white and black ones no, but they had hard shells didn't they and they had hard shells yeah because they were white shells with, with milk chocolate and oh I don't know it was, it was 
it was like the black and white minstrel show, but yeah, but they didn't. It's like, it's like, like, like you'd stepped over into an antimatter universe because yeah, like one, one was the, the exact opposite of the other. You could play go with those, yes, but not a fellow, not not reversey, not the game where you flip them over. Unless either. unless you spend some time eating <laughs> eating half of the shell. You, you could play a fantastic game of Othello with Jaffa cakes. Imagine <laughs> that. A sore point. Can you tell us what went wrong with oh, the Large Hadron Collider in 2008? Yeah. Um, sort of <laughs> summarise from a, for, for the layman. Assume we know nothing about physics. Okay. Just, just we, imagine we don't. I know it's hard. We, we can but. imagine what uh, what scientists breathing in helium would sound like. So that would be that would be good. If that yeah, was I, at I all. can't do that. I'm afraid. Oh. Not unless you've got any helium handy, I'll do it all in, all in high pitch. Because that's that what I heard happen. There was a big leak and there's helium everywhere. That's right. That Although no one was in the tunnel because if they had been, they wouldn't have been breathing anything. In, I'm afraid. <laughs> Um, the, the, yeah, okay. Yes, we can talk about it with a smile now because it's working again. Um, so, yeah, what happened was that one of the, the big problem, the main problem actually with the LHC is not, surprisingly enough, getting the particles up to speed. It's keeping them going around the corners. Because as Newton was right, things want to carry going in a straight mm-hmm. line, right? If, especially if they're as energetic as the, the protons in the LHC. And they'll go so, to Belgium or something. They'll just keep going. And <laughs> they don't care. They'll, they'll leave <laughs> the Earth. They'll just fly straight off. <laughs> straight off. Yeah. So, so you've got to kind of control them and bend them. And that's why the ring itself is 27 kilometers. That's why it's so big, because you need a very shallow curve, because you can't bend them around a tight curve. But even how, with that big, that, how shallow that curve is, at 27 kilometers, then you still have hugely powerful magnets to bend, just to bend them. Mm. Nothing to do with speed and accelerating them, speeding them up, mm. just to do with keeping them going around the ring so they collide. Mm. And those, to make those magnets so powerful, we have huge, huge like solenoidal currents, huge electrical currents flowing in there. And to get those currents flowing properly, we have to cool the whole thing down and make it superconducting. Mm. So the whole thing is, is these massive superconducting magnets, supercooled with liquid helium. Um, so that the current will flow in a resistance-free way, um, and that's great. Um, and but you can imagine that if you, if a bit of something that's superconducting and has no resistance suddenly develops a little bit of resistance, it will heat up a little bit mm-hmm. because resistance with the current heats up. So V equals I R. So um, that's a bad chain reaction because it heats up, becomes less superconducting, heats up more. You know, very very quickly, you've, you've got a big problem. Unfortunately this happened in one of the little joins between the magnets that wasn't protected as well as the magnets themselves were and this join basically vaporized instantaneously wow. so of course you've got these huge currents and no junction left anymore so what what happened was that an electrical arc developed across the junction and that unfortunately punctured the um, helium containment vessel with this liquid helium under pressure at 1.9 kelvin suddenly stopped being liquid and there was what they call a huge pressure wave which means a really big explosion. Um, and these magnets are kind of, what, um, 10, 15 metres long, and they weigh more than a tonne, and it just picked 40 of them up and threw them sideways no. and ripped them out of the concrete floor. And amazingly, most of them weren't that badly damaged, in fact, but it, you can imagine it was quite a repair job. Wow. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, you know, no one was hurt, um, and it won't happen again, but it was pretty... You can imagine the face of the guy who opened the door to go and see what had gone wrong. I mean, there's uh, a bit of a mess in there. And all, the, all this stuff is aligned to, you know, fractions of a millimetre. 
and then and this has just ripped it apart. But fortunately, the whole machine is built in eight independent sectors, so it was only one octant that had gone. Mm. Um, and it was really unfortunate because all the others all have been commissioned up to full energy, and this one was the last one. And they didn't really have any reason to expect it was a it was a design flaw, really. I mean, it was it was um, the thing should never have uh, developed um, the resistance in the first place. But mm. that you can note, you, you know, that could happen. But the fact that it wasn't properly protected and that the current wasn't shut off in a controlled way is really bad. Mm. So they've, they've put a lot more monitoring in there to make sure that, first of all, the thing doesn't develop a resistance, but also that if it does, it's not so catastrophic. Yeah. Um, I think four of them, they didn't have to, they did a lot of tests and found that you know, they're cold and they're working, so mm. we would just leave them alone. Okay. Okay. But, but other ones, yeah, they found signs of the same problem. All of them had improved monitoring, mm -hmm. um, but there's some kinds of improved monitoring you have to warm the thing up to install and then cool it down. So that's actually why we're only running at half energy now. Because, oh, right. because um, or one of the reasons, because uh, they want to put the, the uh, several of these octants have got um, the f a, f a much improved safety. The other ones have got improved safety, but they want to put absolutely every bell and whistle mm. on before they go to full energy, yeah. basically. Save any more large explosions. <laughs> so when you get back up to full energy, uh, in the LHC, mm -hmm. what will the difference be and what will you be able to do then that you're currently not able to do now? Well, it's, um, in a way, it's like, we're, we're my, my favourite analogy is that we're exploring a new landscape of physics, right? There's a whole bunch of stuff above this energy scale and we're above the energy scale now, mm -hmm. so we're, we're exploring part of it. We, in the end, we'll just get more of the map open to us when we go to higher energy, but it's more than just that. Uh, it's more important than, than just a, a little bit more because... Um, what the machine was built for was really to answer the question is there a Higgs particle in the standard model or not and you probably can't do that well you certainly can't prove a yes or a no with only half the energy you need the full energy so if we're lucky we might find it with with we might if we carried on running at half energy we might well be able to find it if it was in a certain place but what you really want to be able to do is prove the negative you want to scan the whole of that in landscape and so if you don't find it you can say well it's just not there it's not that it's hiding somewhere we couldn't see because there's a certain region of, of this physics landscape it has to be in, otherwise it's not the Higgs boson. And is that so. possible because of the way the uh, LHC has been designed, that there's enough energy to ensure that you've you know, fully covered the, yeah. or, the model? I mean, that sounds like an amazing thing to have done, to build a machine that literally proves a negative and says, yeah. well, it, we've, we've done it, therefore it, it must not exist. That's right. I mean, well, think about it. There's a huge fraction of the physics community, even, and, and more than half of the particle physics community, for sure, working on this thing and we've been, I've dedicated like, 10 years of my career to it pretty much mm -hmm. um, other people have spent longer on it and you don't do that lightly you, you, you know you don't this is not something you dream up in the pub and decide that'd be a good idea bang the protons together <laughs> I mean, there, there has to be a very strong motivation for it and you have to make sure you designed it to do a job we always hope that, that we'll find something even more amazing than answering that question, but, we've, but to invest that much time, money and effort, mm. you have to be sure you're going to come up with some pretty amazing physics from it. And that's kind of the, the bare minimum, is we will, we will either show that there's a Higgs or we'll prove that the standard model's mm. wrong. And how long will it take to do that, based on the current, um, current pace of research? Yeah, well, we, we, uh, we won't be able to do that with the first year's data we, um, and then it will probably shut down for something around a year again um, to install the, the to basically get it ready to be going to full like energy, to full energy right. yeah then if things go well within a year or two after that we would have it so we're talking at least three years maybe four years um, but it, it, make, it all makes me think of, and we may have discussed this in the podcast before and it might have been cut but because 
because it's it was deemed rubbish. But Doesn't mean we can't do it again. Like that reminds me of an episode of Red Dwarf. No, no. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. A white hole. I was going to say it reminds me of that time travelers conference that I keep trying to bring up in every episode. Oh no, um, let's talk about the time travelers conference. There, there was uh, a thing. Was it done entirely as a joke, or was there actually a, a no. convocation of people? Was it was it done entirely as a joke? Did you say? Yeah, it's, it's completely serious. It's the opposite. Okay, so with completely serious, no tongues in any cheeks whatsoever. Yeah, a conference, a, a convention was set up for time yes. travellers in America at a university, and it was well publicised so that all the time travellers in the future would know to come mm. back in time to go to that event. Yeah. What about the time travellers that weren't in the future but existed in the past? How would they know about it? Uh, well, if they travel to a time in the future past it, then they'll then they be able know. to find out okay. about it. They'll catch up with it. I suppose that's fair. You can't really send messages back in time. That doesn't work, does Well, the it? thing is, until we have the capacity to change, to move around in time, yeah. we have to just do things in the present and allow them to slip into the past. Yeah, that's fair. We so, can't go back... Oh, you mean the future? But, oh, uh, <laughs> no, but, I don't know uh, anymore. Well, uh, not, not to rain on anyone's parade, and I'm no theoretical physicist. We should get one of them We on. should get a particle physicist. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, apparently, if you were able to create a wormhole-based time machine, mm. you wouldn't be able to go back in time further than, you'd, yeah. than your invention, your original invention, the time machine. Uh-huh. So I hope the conference people have just borne that in mind. Well, maybe that's, that, that's an elementary, yeah. that's a schoolboy error. Yeah. Yeah. With, with your but time that's travel. only one theory of time travel. It, 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 it is. There are more. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm not, saying it's, not just... I'm not saying it's the most plausible. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I think we should look at what Other happens Other time in, travel um, theories are available. Yeah. Yeah, and and in um, Back to the Future, of course, they mm. go back way further than the DeLorean. Mm-hmm. So that I think I think Dave's yeah. theory is not as well, good. Well, well, well that's, that shut me up. Then. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, and um, um, actually, what uh, what uh, gave me the idea of doing this sort of chocolatey crunchy uh, snack episode? This was um, found by a listener, young uh, Lee Maguire, who is, who was who was one of the who was one of the co-founders of the Snack Spot website. Oh, really? And, um, yes, and then kind of went... Then we had a bit of dis- uh, a dispute over what we should call it, because he wanted to call it... He wanted to call it Snack Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't call it that. And, and I said, well, you know, I think that would be... What if I have to answer the phone or anything like that? Or, <laughs> or publish a book called The Complete Snack Hunt. <laughs> and so we agreed to differ on that, but he's, uh, he's, he stayed in the game uh, with this, the Twix Topics... Ooh. That he says he bought in a legitimate UK outlet, but looking at it, all Check. all of the ingredients are in Scandinavian. <laughs> Check the barcode. What's the first digit of the barcode? Oh, I think it's a five. I think that means it was made in the UK, but I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Well, I mean, look, yeah, if it was made in the UK, I'd expect to have more English writing on it, other than the word <laughs> Twix and creamy caramel. Well, let's um, let's pop it open. This is a Twix topics. Yes, and uh, yeah, just to continue my usual sort of sexist. Uh, ramblings. Um, if you look at the galaxy counters, very clearly targeted the female audience, and what, and what they call now this kind of gifting and sharing market, where oh yes, I will spend two pounds on on a bag of chocolates uh, and pretend I'm going to give them to my friends. Um, I've, I'd always wondered if women were a bit, a bit put off the Twix. They thought the Twix was a, was a little bit too masculine, because to me, this Twix topics um, is, 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 a, is an altogether lighter. Affair. It's much more wafery. It's got a little sort of caramel, sort of airy. It tastes like a blue ribbon. Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. The wafer is wrong, isn't it? Except, well, 
No, it's horrible. But who, like who eats who eats blue ribbons? Women. No children. Children in oh, okay. 1978. <laughs> <laughs> children from the past. <laughs> <laughs> the only people that eat these things. That bears nothing. No resemblance. That's to no, a no, no, no resemblance to a proper Twix. It's just like a new thing that they're just calling a Twix, like well, a Kit Kat chunky all over. Well, it. I thought that I, like I thought it was very much influenced by things like um, Kit Kat Senses and, um, uh, and Kinder yeah. Bueno. They were trying to make a light Twix. Those things are all horrible. <laughs> what they've done there is they've cloned That's really horrible things and they've called it Twix. They should have just not done that. That's because you're a man, Rube. I, th- I think, you know, Kit Kat Senses mm. is very popular. But it's, it's something about that wafery biscuit. Uh, it's, the, yeah. it's not an even very well done wafery biscuit. Well, I mean, as, as I said, I don't believe it is an official UK product at this stage, but nonetheless, it could be a terrifying glimpse of the future. Your, your pick of this selection? I mean, I think, I think Lint's probably still has the edge with the chocolate. I mean, I'm a fan of Cadbury's chocolate, but I'm not mm. completely convinced by these crunchy rocks. No, not not a big fan of the Crunchy Rocks. I think the Galaxy Counters. That, oh. That's what I would be uh, picking up and taking away with me. Right, if you if you spend a lot of time googling um, slang usage of the word rock uh, <laughs> online, it's uh, it's traditionally used to refer to to crack cocaine. Crack cocaine. And well, what, the only time I think I ever got a story in the Sun, Kellogg's brought out a version of Cocoa Pops called Cocoa Rocks. If you Google for that, they say, oh, actually, Cocoa Rocks is a, it's a slang term for just a kind of brown version of crack cocaine. And, and, the, and, the, like, and, the, and the Sun picked up on this mm-hmm. and sort of said, oh, like, idiots at Kellogg's. <laughs> I've, no, I've named I've named their light, but it didn't seem to do them any harm. So no, they sold all right, didn't they? Well, they're quite nice. Those uh, cocoa rocks, cocoa yeah. rocks, that wool. You were getting in those variety packs of cereal. They do. So, yeah. yeah, it's always one of the nice bouldery, bouldery things. Of yeah, chocolate. perhaps perhaps we'll come back and look at a breakfast products uh, another time. I'd love to do a breakfast product oh, version. Oh, delicious. Totally oh, do that. We should do it early in the morning, first thing before are, work. Are they, are they snacks? Oh, aren't, they, aren't they a meal? Are we going to, uh, uh, are we going to uh, evening meals? We'll, 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 we'll debate that, but I think, uh, I think yeah, bre- breakfast is the most important snack of the day. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Dave. Good line to end on. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, can, you can tell that that matter is probably there because if you look at the way galaxies rotate you see that they're, they're not rotating as if, if, if they were only the stars in the galaxy, then you'd have a kind of... They're, they'd be dragging behind... The, the, the galaxy would be rotating and they'd be dragging behind, but they don't rotate like that. They rotate like they're on a solid disk almost. Okay. So, so what happens if you've got... A, if you can do the calculation, if you've only got the stars in the galaxy, then, then you've got a curve of the velocity of the star versus how far it is from the centre of the galaxy. Yeah. You can predict that, and it's wrong. And, and actually, the, what you get, what you observe, is that they look like they're all painted onto a spinning disc, pretty mm. much. Ah. And that spinning disc is basically actually not a disc; it's a blob of dark matter. It's, yeah. a, it's a sphere of dark matter. It's pretty compelling that that's there. Um, and what it is, we don't know. But you can make various assumptions. It, it has to. It can't have any charge, for instance, electrical charge. Otherwise, we'd see it. It, it, it so various things. It must only interact via the weak nuclear force, basically, like right. neutrinos do. And it must be quite heavy, otherwise the universe wouldn't have the kind of structure it's got because it affects how galaxies clump together. So it's all, this is all astronomy and cosmology, not mm. particle physics, really. The way, where particle physics comes in is it kind of gives you the candidate particles for what this might be. Okay. Um, and, uh, in fact, it's possible that the LHC, we will actually produce these dark matter things because the mass is right in the range. It's one of those big... Big coincidences that make, gives you a sneaky feeling there's something going on that you're about to understand mm. because the, the dark matter seems to have to have a mass which is not so far away from the Higgs mass. 
That doesn't mean we think it's the Higgs, but it does mean we think it's something related to the Higgs mm. around the electroresymmetry breaking scale, mm. around where the LHC is doing its physics. Right. So it can't be the Higgs because the Higgs decays too quickly, but it could be some other particle related. And good candidates, uh, there's theories like supersymmetry. Uh, actually, not just supersymmetry, but a lot of physics, a lot of new theories about the physics above the, the Higgs scale, above, mm. above the LHC, where the, in the region where the LHC is operating. Um, end up having you producing things that you produce in pairs and they can't decay because there's some conservation law because if if they didn't only get produced in pairs we'd see them every day we know we don't so if there's new physics there has to be something that stops them being produced every day right. and that's some conservation law but once you produce a pair of them they can only decay by annihilating back together again yeah. and they don't because they fly off in different directions so you've got some chance of seeing them um, and those things the, the Essentially, the, these lightest supersymmetric particles, or whatever the equivalent is in whatever other theory, there's, it's a very generic feature of the theories that you get these kind of objects. They're very good candidates for dark matter. Right. Oh, and the idea would be that in the early universe, they were in equilibrium, they were all being created and destroyed along with normal matter. Mm. And at some point, as it cooled down, they were, they were left alone and they can only now decay. They can only now get rid of them by if they happen to hit each other, okay. which is very unlikely. So there's loads of them left. So there's much more dark matter than there is. Normal matter. Yeah, about five right? times as much. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's then, dark. and then, you can't uh, see it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Can that's you right. see it? I mean, like, it, does it um, does it occlude light? Does it get in no, the way? Of no, it doesn't interact with electromagnetically at all, which it's is light. Just so invisible. Yeah, there are experiments looking for it. There's one in, in Yorkshire and in, in, in the Bowlby mine in Yorkshire it's looking to look for it. Isn't it? In Yorkshire, it's in a salt mine under Yorkshire. Actually, I think it's out under the North Sea. In fact, it's dug down and then out. Oh, but, um, and how are they yeah. looking for it? Yeah, basically, you go somewhere where it's very quiet. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot going on. For instance, Yorkshire. hundreds of meters <laughs> underground in Yorkshire. And uh, see, I'm from Lancashire, so I'm to be. And and yeah, you you've got to get away from cosmic rays, for instance, which are coming in all the time, give you background, and, and this is why they're underground. Mm-hmm. And you've got to get away from all kinds of radioactive materials uh, that give even even infinitesimal amounts of radioactive material. So granite's not just destroy get away exactly. From yeah, it's, it really matters what material you're in. Right. Um, and then they purify, get all the radon out, everything. And then you sit there and you, you try and look for one of these things bouncing off part of your detector and you build your detector so it optimises it but it's still going to be a very rare event oh. and you look for either the the sound that it makes actually mm-hmm. it will vibrate the, the nucleus and, and you can look for a sound wave going through the thing or you can look for various characteristic signals that you get um, bits of light given off sometimes various other things that you can see so various te- there's a lot of experiments around the world actually looking for it it's one of the frontier one of the other frontiers other than just going to higher and higher energies <laughs> this is one of the other frontiers of physics mm-hmm. is looking for that and you do lots of other things too, like write for the New Scientist and uh, appear on TV sometimes, and uh, uh, there's all sorts it of. It has been known, usually related to the LHC, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I don't mean as, as some kind of a general I'm, celebrity. No, I'm not <laughs> Brian Cox, damn it. You know, <laughs> so, do you know him? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, we worked together in Hamburg oh. for quite some time. Um, oh. When he was a PhD student, I was a postdoc. Oh, wow. So, we're actually the same age, but he took three years out doing pop star stuff. Yeah. And kind of came back, so, yeah. <laughs> But you're also a bit of a pop musician, it implies, oh. on, on, on your Am website. I? Yeah, well, tell us what I, I, I hadn't heard of, the, inexplicably, I hadn't heard of the Geek Pop uh, Festival. Yeah, nor had I until I actually played in it. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 was your, what was your involvement in it? Um, there's a guy at, um, in, in CERN called uh, Martin White, who has a little band called the Roadside Poppies, uh, who are very good and do kind of folky um, physics driven songs sometimes, sometimes physics driven, always folky as far as I can tell um, and uh, 
there, there was a message sent around. These geek pop guys, basically, they want science-themed music. And uh, a mail went around, actually, the Atlas mailing list of mine, and I had been saying for ages we should play something together because I've played a little bit here and there. Um, so that, would, that was the excuse we were looking for, so we did. We, we submitted a song about the, the canteen in the physics lab in Hamburg called El Scarpa Dry, which, is, uh, which I used to play with my, my wife and a friend of ours used to play it in bars in Hamburg, so I taught it to Martin and we put it on this concert, which is... Uh, and it's a real festival in, in a it's real It's a place. virtual festival, but oh. there are various real gigs associated with it as well. So it's set up like a website with tents, and you can go and visit the different festivals, different um, stages you know, in the festival, um, which is basically a fancy way of putting a load of MP3s on the web. But, um, but they do have real gigs associated with it. There was one in Bristol, one in London. I think there have been a few more around the country. But I'm kind of peripherally involved in that, in that I, I, uh, I sat with Martin and recorded something and he emailed it off to someone and then it appeared on a website. So. <laughs> well, well, have you seen much of the other acts? Well, I mean, but I've, I've listened to them. I, haven't, I didn't manage to go to any of the live gigs. I was trying to, but I, I didn't make it. But yeah, I've listened to some. They're good. They're fun. Yeah. Some of them are fun. Have you done any songs about the Lord Hadron Collider? Not yet, no. I mean, it's hard to follow Kate McAlpine, isn't it, really? You know, the, the, the Large Hadron Collider rap? Which oh, was I love the that. first time oh. we came out. Yeah. Oh. My little boy that knows that off by heart. It's just, <laughs> it's, uh, it's very good. All the words are right. I mean, it's, you, you know, any of the words, just, just it's 27 kilometres of tunnel underground designed with mine to send protons around. I think it's the beginning of it. Okay. So, yeah, you, normally when you hear something like that, um, A, it's a bit naff, and B, the physics is wrong. Well, they got B right anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I'm on the shore. So, Leila, this conference yeah. uh, was, was set up and it was publicised and yeah. they held the conference and yeah. people physically came. Yes. How many of them were verified as being time travellers? Well, well, it's none. But well, it's the prime directive I mean, as well, though. Really. You, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't interfere with the past. Exactly. Like you may endanger your own existence. Although, although people never seem to have that problem with interfering with the present. <laughs> You're like, what, what's what's, so, what's so sacrosanct about... Yeah, <laughs> like, anyway... Yeah, so so no verified time travellers, but right. they did say on their website, um, you must actually have come from the future and not just dressed like you did. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that might have enticed some people to dress like they were from the oh, future? Oh, it's so tempting, isn't yeah. it, that you would want you would want to? But um, yeah, so I suppose it's just like trying to it's, you're just setting up a little not a trap exactly, but like a little bird table. Yeah, a little honey saying, pot. come and yeah come from wherever you are in time and space and come to this conference. And I guess I feel kind of weird for mentioning it given the fact that it's, it's gone and this is now historic yeah. thing. But actually, of course, for the time travellers, they might get to listen to this. Yeah. They might have missed it otherwise, yeah. I suppose. But if that's the case, then they would have gone if they wanted to. I mean, I'm, but maybe, am I tired? But I don't know how it works because maybe by the, after this goes out, some time travellers might go to the conference, come back, history will change from we the should, point that we yeah. issued this. Now that we've said this, we need to go back and check the website to see whether any real time travellers turned up. And if they did, it might be thanks uh, to you. Yeah, and also check this podcast and see if we're actually saying, and six time travellers did turn up. Oh, and, and weird. <laughs> Ruth gripping his head oh, and contorted with confusion. What did I say just now, Dave? <laughs> but, but yeah, but we'd be, we'd be different people. Our memories were like, we're, on our timeline... Yeah. Terminator style um, we'd be different people and our memories of this would, would be different this, this oh, podcast that you're listening to is the only evidence that, <laughs> that this extraordinary experiment ever, ever succeeded oh wow so muons would be a great thing to, 
to collide. Muons are like electrons, only heavier. Mm-hmm. And and if you could, so the the protons are kind of ugly because you really end up colliding the quarks from the protons. And you so they've only got a bit of the energy of the protons. So you put all this energy into the proton, and, and you only get a bit of it in the quark. With a muon, you get all the energy in the muon because right? it's it's one thing. It's yeah, not made of that's small. That's right. Bits. It's a, it's an elementary particle like the electron. Right. Um, where do you get them? Like I, I think I know where. Yeah, you buy these yeah, muons? Buy them, yeah. You've got to the chemist to get a bag of muons. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem, actually. So you can make, you make them, they, they're produced very commonly when, from protons. If you smack a proton into something, you'll get a lot of things called pions out, which are a quark and an anti-quark pan together. All these new words. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then pions yeah. decay into uh, muons and give you muons. Yeah. Yeah. As you know. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah. they're heavy. They're heavier than... They're heavier. They're a hundred, hundred and odd times heavier than an electron. The problem is they decay very quickly. Right. Two right. electrons in the end, right? So you have to accelerate them really quickly. It's, this is relativity as well, right? Because if you, if you get them up to speed really quickly, you slow time down for them, so they live longer. Whoa, right. So, because they're going yeah. faster, they yeah. live longer. Them, so the key is... Them. Yeah, something like, yeah no, you, can, you can travel into the future. We're doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> how fast are we talking like, to, for it to be a noticeable effect? On, uh, half on the, the speed of light. Or they get very... I mean, in the protons in the LHC are travelling at nearly the speed of light. I mean, it's commonplace to have things travelling ultra-relativistically. I don't know how many nines, but it's 99.99999 something. So, uh, because you can never go above, right? So all we do is add another nine on the end of that every time. But, but I suppose, and uh, actually having just been really impressed that it's really close to being the speed of light, actually, if you turn a light on, that's giving that out photons at the speed of light. Yeah, but you're, you're, you're accelerating things that aren't photons yeah. to the speed that a photon It's really the, the speed isn't the key variable, it's the energy or the momentum, if you like, the energy of the thing. So as you go close to the speed of light, you stop making things go faster, and in fact you start making them heavier. Right. So the energy they're carrying is still going up just as fast as if you were speeding them up. Yeah. And instead of speeding them up, you're actually making them heavier and heavier and heavier. So if you took a muon and got it anywhere close to the speed of yeah. light, you're talking about a fairly big... A yeah. fairly big bang, potentially. Yeah, that's right. And all, all the energy that you've got into the muon will go into the collision then, rather than a fraction of it, which is what happens with the You're making me want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Can we do it on the show? Yeah, yeah. can we just get can some muons? Yeah. What, what's the kinetic energy of a proton travelling at nearly the speed of light? In the LHC... It's um, the kinetic. You're expecting a big number now, right? Oh, I don't know. The, the, I mean, is the it, kinetic is, is, energy is it of like one? a tennis ball. Or I, I'm very curious. <laughs> Good, it's, Would it hurt? It's about the same as a gnat. Apparently, that's the figure of merit. Is one gnat, as in so a, a small a, insect, a small midge. But that's in one proton. So it doesn't sound that impressive. But think how many protons there are in one gnat. There are a me- great many billions, mm-hmm. and we put all that energy into one proton. Mm-hmm. So it's about concentrating the energy mm-hmm. rather than the, the actual mm-hmm. amount of energy. And um, like how many uh, protons are getting flung around inside it? It's not just one. There must be no. A there's huge numbers of them. I can't remember the number actually for how many there are in a in a bunch at design. But when it's running at design, what I do know is that the, the kinetic energy in one bunch of these protons is about the same as a, as an aircraft carrier travelling at full speed. Wow, <laughs> so, that's a lot of nets. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's a lot of nets. <laughs> Measuring everything by nets now. <laughs> that's right. It's a new one. You've got the football pitch, the Isle of Wight, the gnat. <laughs> Upgrading 
John Butterworth from University College London and CERN and, and the Large Hadron Collider. Thank you very much for coming in today. Um, where can people find you? Because I know you're on Twitter. What, what's your what's Yeah, your I'm John M. Butterworth on Twitter and I have a blog and um, my website at UCL and stuff you can find from there. But yeah, John M. Butterworth is probably the best place to start. John, thanks so much for coming in. It's been fascinating and I feel like I've learned so much more than I ever imagined I would. <laughs> I feel like my head's all full of particles. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, it is. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was good. That was spontaneous. My question. <laughs> my question was. <laughs>